0: Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. If you Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter. Continue our series in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we will be finishing up chapter 4 today, Lord willing. First Peter, chapter 4, verses 12 to the end of the chapter. Adversity. I say this for adversity, one person wrote people seem to be able to stand it, and that's more than I can say for prosperity. Contrary to what might be expected, another said, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness, that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that, I have, that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. Well, the Peter, people in Peter's time knew about affliction and hardship and persecution as we have seen in this text and we'll see again today. They were scattered from their homes and had to go throughout Asia and Asia Minor. They were persecuted under the, the tyrant, the Caesar that day, Nero, who probably at the time, and we know he did this in 64 AD, but probably when Peter was writing this was the time that happened. And the city was burnt down. 70% of it burnt down because he wanted to rebuild the city. And he blamed it on the Christians. And so there was a great persecution. So the title of my message today is Thriving Through Persecution Slash Tribulation Slash Adversity. Number one, expect it. Expect Persecution. If we're going to thrive, we need to know, understand that hardship and persecution and trials are normal. Number two, embrace it. Why? Well, just because what I just read. God allows these things to happen in into our lives to make us rely on him and strengthen us in Christ. Number three, glorified God through it. And we can glorify God through these things by staying close to him and having our peace and joy in the midst of it. And number four, pity your oppressors. If there is oppression given by people, and and whether that is something that we consider small amount, verbally, gossip, which isn't necessarily a small thing, or there's physical persecution. There should be pity on those that do it because they're going to have to stand before God someday. And we are to love and pray for our oppressors and enemies. So that's how we can thrive through persecution. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that as the word of God is spoken today, that Jesus Christ would be lifted up. Father, it's only because of him we stand here today. He is the creator He is the sovereign. He is the one that holds the universe together. He is the one that walked on this earth and died for our sins and rose again and showed that he has power over death. He is the one that offers salvation freely to those that will trust him as Lord and Savior. And we thank you for him. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the spirit of God that is given to us as believers. We thank you for the word of God that was inspired and preserved and given to us as well. And Father, speak to us, challenge us, and encourage us today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Expect it, expect persecution to happen. He says, Peter makes that really plain in verse 12. Beloved, those that are loved by God, determined God by a strong love, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, note that, The word fiery trial means just that. It's a trial. It's a blaze. It's a burning trial. Maybe Peter said it that way because of what happened in Rome. This fiery strong trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. The word happened is a a present participle. So you could render it as happening. This is happening to you right now. This fiery trial, this strong trial trial that you're going through so don't think it's strange and so when we go through trials and hardships and persecutions um, understand that it's the norm first corinthians 10 13 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except for what is common to man the trial you're going through right now is not unique to you There are other people throughout the world going through the same exact thing. That brings me comfort because sometimes you think, nobody understands what I'm going through. Well, no, there's a lot of other people going through it. But also, Jesus understands, doesn't he? And we can come boldly before the throne of of God. The Bible says in John chapter 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me... They will also persecute you, so we shouldn't be surprised. Trials come and persecution comes, and for Christians, you know, like a trial. If you had two circles, you know, you'd have a trial, and then persecution's kind of like interlap inside that circle because you can look at like you can look at trials and say sometimes trials are because we live in a sin-cursed world, right? Um, and so sometimes that happens. Uh, but still, God is sovereign. But also, and then persecutions usually focuses on uh, people doing something to us, right? But as Christians, you know, the devil's out there throwing darts at us. So sometimes our our trials are actually persecutions from the evil one. Like Paul was his thorn in the flesh. But the point is, is these things are to be expected. I remember talking to a um, a, a young believer, probably about probably say about two years when I was in Ireland. And I remember sitting in a car and he's gone on for the Lord. In fact, he was a deacon at, at my former church and uh, it was a blessing. And, and he just got through a trial and he said, I'm so glad that thing's behind me. And I said, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I said, another one's coming. I said, The Christian life is a series of, of trials and, 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 and rest and trials and rest and trials and rest. And I said, so embrace the trial. Because it's the norm. And that brings me into my second point. Abrace it. Because it is the norm. The Bible says that in verse 13. It says, but rejoice. Okay, notice that. Rejoice. Talking about trials. A very strong trial. A fiery trial. Rejoice. Remember Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in God. Through the trial, find your joy in Jesus Christ. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Why can we, why should we embrace it? Because we're rewarded. There's a joy. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 through 12, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Okay, speak evil of you, and you, you know, and you may not be there, but when we stand for Christ and walk with Christ, people will speak evil of us. Be glad, or persecute us to us to our face, and take all kinds of evil against you falsely. That's the key. We're walking with God, so it's falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. What's that word mean? It means to be with glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. And again, Christ has reminded us, this is normal. But there's rewards in heaven. In other words, if we will walk with God and face some type of persecution, but we still pray for the people and we still love our enemies, we might struggle a little bit, but we get back on our feet, and then there's a reward for that. God rewards us. And so we can embrace it. Now, not only that, but we're also rewarded with close and intimate fellowship with God. There is a direct correlation, I believe, through through persecution. If we're persecuted and we endure it and stay close to God, God manifests himself even closer to us. He draws closer to us during those persecutions if we will walk with him. Now, look at the passage again. But rejoice, in other words, it's again, find your joy in God to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. That word partake is, is uh, communion, close, intimate fellowship with God. So when you're going through the persecutions, the idea then is that we're to draw closer to God and lean on him to help us. And then because of that, there's a closer relationship with God through the hardship, whatever trial or persecution that is. And then he says that when his glory is revealed to you, may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then we, we address that, and then in verse fourteen, if you are reproached for the name of Christ, you may f- to, to feel foolish, which the media tries to do today. Those Christians, how, you don't believe in evolution. You believe God created the universe. Ha ha ha. How foolish. You're an uneducated person. I just write you right off, right? That's how I do. If you reproach for the name of Christ, blessed are you, again, that word, happy, joy, right? For the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. You remember in the Old Testament, you had the tabernacle? The Jews were going through the wilderness, and at the tabernacle was a tent, you could you could break it down and, and travel with it. And the Holy of Holies was in the tabernacle, and the holy of holies was the mercy, there was the mercy seat, and that was the throne of God. And 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 over the tabernacle there was at night, or excuse me, during the day there was a cloud. And that cloud represented God's presence. I think that's what Peter's alluding to. In other words, when we're persecuted and we draw closer to God, then God's presence is even more powerful than before. It hovers upon us. It's very similar to what he says, I think, in second, second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse, I believe it's around verse five. That the greater the trial, the greater the suffering, the greater the mercy God pours on us. And so in that way, we can embrace it because the hardship and difficulty, if we will draw to Christ, will make him more real than he's out been. That's why Paul talked about glory and tribulations as well. That's why Paul talked about the fellowship of the sufferings in Philippians chapter 3, somewhere around verses 8 through 12. And so there's the reward. Now, I want you to go to Psalm 63. Brother Mark read that this morning. I want you to understand that the context of this psalm, most scholars believe that the context of this psalm, and it seems to fit, is that when David was fleeing from Absalom. So the picture here is that David's son was trying trying to take his throne and murder him. That's when David writes this psalm. OK. So I want you to see it. I love over top of it says joy and fellowship of God. He's running from his son. He's trying to kill him. Oh, God, you are my God early when I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I'm thirsting for you, and I don't know, He probably speaking metaphorically here, is that the well has dried up. My son is pursuing me, and what do I do, God? During the hardships, during the difficulties, during the trials, where do I go? I go to you, because you're my joy. I seek you. My soul longs for you during this time. So I've looked for you in your sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. And he goes on. But in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this trial, look at verse five. My soul shall be satisfied. And the idea is satisfied in you. You see, the reward. The great reward we get. Is not just the one in heaven. But here on earth. In the close. Intimate. Fellowship with God. Who through our trials. And our tribulation says. With his arms open. Come to me. And I will minister you. And I will give you joy. And satisfaction. In the midst of this hardship. You remember. M- many of us know the poem. The footprints in the Sands? And when, the, when the, you see the, the two sets of of footprints walking along the person and, and represents uh, God. And then, and then when the person was going through the most difficult time, there's only one set of footprints. And they want to say, God, where were you at? You abandoned me. And God says, no, I carried you through it. That's what, that's what David, David was being carried through this trial. Peter was saying to them, God's going to carry us through this difficulty embrace the trial because God manifests Himself in a real way, in a closer way. Now, back to 1 Peter chapter 4. Two points down, two to go. Other than the fact, in the last point, I want to just touch on verse 19 because I kind of feel like verse 19 ties back in with, with the second point. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God, in other words, we're in the center of the will of God, not suffering for our own sins, not consequences because of things we've done. Although when we mess up, God is still there for us. Okay? What he's saying there, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. The word "commit" is to like to lay to lay something alongside,, okay? and I think the idea is that we take our our will and we take everything we know, even our fear, and we lay it alongside and give it to God. it's almost like i don't know if you did this when you're kids, but you know you fall back into somebody 's arm and, and, and it's kind of a game we played, but if If the person is a true friend, you're going to fall back and catch them, right? So God's saying, just fall back in my arms and trust me, and I'll catch you, and I've got you. Now, point number three, glorify God through it. Glorify God through it. In other words, if we're going to thrive through persecutions, then we need to be concerned about lifting up God's name. And that'll bring us joy, by the way, and peace. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in others, other people's matters. In other words, I had a guy one time, he was a former INLA member, uh, was a break off from the IRA when I was in Ireland. And I, and I used to visit him in prison. He was a rough guy, as you can imagine. And I remember him saying it, and he professed to know Christ. And so we are having a Bible study. And he said, I feel like I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul, you know, in, in prison. And I said, no, not exactly. He said, you're in prison because of your faults and your sins, because you broke crimes. The Apostle Paul is in prison because of his, his preaching the gospel. Okay? And I think that's what Peter's trying to say. If you mess up and, you, and, and you're, you know, there's some type of consequences, that doesn't glorify God. Okay? Now, we can find forgiveness etc. But that's not what glorify God's. But it says this. Don't suffer because of a murderer. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. You see, it's interesting that word there, to, to be ashamed there. The, the, the idea of that word, it's in the middle, um, it's in the, sorry, it's in the, yeah, it's in the, the, the middle voice. Okay? The present tense middle voice. The idea is you're the the doer and receiver of the action. And I think Peter's saying this, right? People can make us feel ashamed for being a Christian or for, for believing what we believe and even mock us. And the problem is we can start believing that and we're attributing to that. And Peter says... Don't let anybody allow, make you feel like you're ashamed. We have the precious jewels of the gospel. We have the answers to life. I could go through the first four books of Genesis and teach you that book, and if you had a grasp on that book, you'll know basically more than any university professor in the whole world. Don't be ashamed of the scriptures. I think uh, that, that, that uh, Christ... And if we're going to glorify God, we can't be ashamed, right? We need to know that, wait a minute, this is the Bible. This is the truth. This is where I stand. And I think Jesus was an example to us in Luke 23. And I want to turn there for a moment, if you would. Again, I had Brother Mark read this. But Luke 23, verse 26. Now, Jesus is battered, he's beaten in the context here. He can't even carry his cross, he's beaten so bad. He probably should have died with the beating he received. His face was beaten so bad, you couldn't recognize it as a human face. Okay? And there he is. And the Bible says in verse 26, Now as they led him away, they laid hold on a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country... And on him, they laid the cross that they might bear it after Jesus. Jesus dragging that cross after the beating he received. Remember, he was 33 years old. He was a carpenter. He was physically strong in the prime of his life. But he was beaten so bad, he probably shouldn't survive. But he was so determined to get on that cross, he was dragging it. And he couldn't get it. So God, in his sovereignty, brings this man, Simon, to help him. And the Bible says in verse 27, And a great multitude of people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus turned to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and and breasts which never nursed, Then they will begin to say to the mountains fall on us and the hills cover us. Jesus is saying, you got bigger problems. I'm doing God's will. There's no shame, even though I've been beaten and stripped of my clothing. There's no shame in what's going on here. I endured the cross with joy, knowing what it's going to accomplish. What you ought to do is, is cry for yourselves. Because in 70 AD your city's gonna be leveled by Titus. And they did level it and they pulled the temple apart block by block. You rejected me as a nation. You better cry for yourselves and your nation. And so glorying God is the idea of I rest in God's word, I believe God's word is true. I endure the persecution. And I do it for the glory of God. And if anything, I feel sorry for you. Because you're blinded. And you need the gospel. When I share the gospel with people, and and it gets a bit, sometimes it would get, you know, there's a bit of conflict coming there. Or people say, why are you trying to jam this down my throat? And I always say, I'm not jamming anything down your throat. Listen. What I have, you need. And if you don't take it, it's your loss, not mine. Jesus said to his apostles, go into the towns, go into the villages, preach the gospel. And if they don't embrace it, kick the dust off your feet and roll. That's my paraphrase. Okay. Leave. You need what I have. I'm not ashamed to share this, and I'm not jamming it down your throat. I'm just presenting it. If you don't want it, that's between you and God. So the last point is to pity your oppressors. Now, go, to, go back to, to 1 Peter 4, please. Pity your oppressors. And I and I think that's what Peter's getting at here. Verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. What is Peter saying? Well, we're we're being persecuted. Our persecutors, Nero, is persecuting, persecuting us. And God is sovereign and God is allowing that. And so we're going through this oppression. And this judgment is, is really coming from man. But we're feeling it. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Man, you think it's bad for us. What about those who reject the gospel? What do you think it's going to be like for them? See, our persecution is temporal and measured by God. He only allows what he's going to allow. That's it. But yours is going to be Permanent and everlasting. And it's going to be under God's wrath. And Peter says, pity them. Pity them. Have a heart for them. Because they're blind and they need this. They need this gospel. And the Bible says in verse 18, and Peter quotes Proverbs eleven thirteen. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved. What does it mean? It means this. For example, let me quote a verse. Acts 14, 22. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And and there's persecution and hardship and the devil thrown his darts. And you know what? People make a profession of faith and they turn away from God. Because of it. I had a music leader in my church in Ireland that, that not only turned from God but renounced it in the newspaper because he wrote from the newspaper. The tribulations and hardship, he counted those things and said, nah, it's not worth following Christ. And he turned from God. So I think what Peter is saying here when he claims his proverb, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, in other words, there's a lot of professions, but, but there's a lot of people that turn away from God. So you scarcely get into the kingdom's idea. Where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? And you know the ungodly and sinners—not just the unsaved here. I think that's a term that to, for people that are really uh, have no regard for God, no regard for laws, no regard for society, no regard for people at all. There's a darker place for those individuals. And Peter is saying there now, somebody like Nero, look at all he's doing. He's persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And when he says there, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? He's saying, just think of the darkness and the wrath that this man will face. Don't get angry at him. Don't get bitter in your heart. Pity him. Because he's going to have to face the wrath of God for what he's done. And you know Nero committed suicide. That's how he died, he committed suicide. It's interesting that Pontius Pilate assumed that he it, it's it seems that he committed suicide as well. And Judas committed suicide as well. So pity. We need to have a heart that looks at these individuals, even the persecutors, and pray for them and do good. Because, but by the grace of God, that could be us, couldn't it? That could be us. I'm going to close with a a, a, a paragraph from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, who who preached in London. Uh, I think it was the Metropolitan uh, Tabernacle. If I remember right, church of about five thousand people. Saw scores of people get saved, went through many hardships, persecutions and trials. But I love his heart for the unsaved. That's what he said. I remember when I had preached at different times in the country and sometimes here that my whole soul agonized over men. Every nerve of my body has been strained and I could have wept my very being out of my eyes and carried my whole frame away. In a flood of tears, if I could but win souls. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for an eternal biblical perspective. And that's what we need. That's what we need, Lord. It's very easy for us to, to wonder. We're prone to wonder from the God that we love. It's as very easy for our minds to be filled with, with fear and anger and even hatred. But, Father, that will do us no good. Instead, you want our hearts to be filled with love and peace and joy and forgiveness. So, Lord, I trust the Spirit of God is speaking to individuals right now. Perhaps pointing something out. Perhaps reinforcing something. Do your business in our hearts today, Lord. We know that you are a loving, caring, long-suffering and merciful God. And, Father, we can come to you anytime. And find your own arms open when we confess sin and turn from it. And Father, not only that, but you give us the strength to live the Christian life. We can't live the Christian life. We can simply yield to your Lordship and you live it through us. So we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God blessed day.